welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our past episodes by going to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Naja Wright-Brown, who is the Executive Director of Black Veg Society. It was really lovely to talk to her about her work in Baltimore, Maryland, and we'll get to that in just a minute or so. But I first wanted to share with you some insights and thoughts that I've been having lately around grocery stores and vegan food. Now, I don't talk about food a lot on this, and actually hardly at all on this podcast. For me, the food part is kind of secondary to the more immediate and critical concern of speciesism and helping people to understand animals, farmed animals, to know them and value their lives But I do believe that introducing people to vegan food and talking and teaching about vegan food is very important. It's just not where my I focus my energies. But but with that said, we are going to explore a bit of food activism today with our guest. And I have had a really interesting transition now that I've moved to Eugene, Oregon from Northern California. So I mentioned this on the last episode that my husband Kojin and I have moved to Eugene, Oregon. And actually, one of the things that we love about Eugene is Sundance Natural Foods. It's a sweet little natural food store that we love that has been here for years. It's been around since the 70s, and we've been coming up and visiting. When we visit Eugene, we will always go to Sundance, and so we've been visiting uh, Sundance since the 90s, and we wanted to be close. We wanted to be close to Sundance. We're now just eight minutes away from Sundance, so it can be our primary grocery store, and we, we just love it because it is primarily vegan. And even though that may seem to perhaps be an odd thing to include on the top list of reasons to move to an area, Sundance was on our list of reasons that we wanted to move here to Eugene because they are mostly vegan. They do have a small animal dairy section, but it's over kind of in the corner and they do sell dog and cat food with meat, I think. And I think there might be cans of tuna, but there's no meat counter. And I believe that everything in their grocery and bulk is vegan. And most especially the deli, the hot and cold bar, the grab and go sandwiches and salads, and the bakery is all vegan, or at least everything that they make in-house is vegan. This is such a haven and such a blessing. I I'm getting really more sensitive as I get older to the suffering of animals around me. And of course, animal products represent that suffering. And when I was in Sacramento for the last four years, they they have a co-op, the Sacramento co-op. And, you know, they had all the vegan stuff I needed, but there was this huge, gross meat counter and then an actual whole separate seafood counter And I'd have to avoid that entire side of the store. And their hot bar, like prepared foods, you know, that you put in containers for lunch or whatever, they had a fair amount of vegan food, but it would be right next to something with meat or something with cheese, or sometimes they'd have like, like kale, like a kale salad, but then they'd put bacon in it or something. So you had to be really, really careful. And it was, it was frustrating and gross and And I I know I was incredibly privileged to have even that. I mean, this is like very, very privileged problems. I I get that. I mean, some places, probably most places, don't even have as much as the co-op had. And it's also just a privilege to be able to afford to shop at a natural food store as well. I I really want to acknowledge that. Many natural groceries and co-ops that started in the 70s through the 90s were vegetarian. But then in the 2000s, so many started carrying, like at first grass-fed beef or some kind of organic meat, buying into the humane hoax. And once that floodgate was open, they now just have full-on meat counters and meat throughout the store. 
but there are holdouts. There's these handful of stores that have stuck to their ethical vegetarian values and Sundance is one of those. And I'm so, so grateful. My whole shopping experience has transformed and I feel safe and comfortable going in there, being able to get something from the deli or choosing from their many, many fresh baked cookies and cakes and not even have to read the ingredients. I know it's all vegan. I used to hate grocery shopping and I don't think I really had put my finger on why, but now I think I know. It was this constant reminder of the suffering of animals, the blatant disregard to animal suffering that is in all meat, dairy, and eggs. And I would have to see it and think about it and avoid it when I was trying to buy my own food. I didn't realize how dramatically that would change shopping in a safe space like Sundance. Like I I knew, you know, that was, I was excited. I knew that I wanted to be near Sundance because it was vegan, but I really didn't realize just, just what a joyful experience it is now shopping there, knowing that everything, or at least most everything is vegan. And it's made me realize that while we have come so far in so many areas, with much more vegan food available, vegan products, options, more options at restaurants, more vegan restaurants. We've not had as much advancement as far as grocery stores go, like vegan and vegetarian grocery stores. Even though there's more vegan food in all grocery stores and in mainstream grocery stores, there's just not as many all vegetarian or vegan groceries. And I wonder what your experience is with grocery shopping. Maybe there are vegan and vegetarian grocery stores out there that I'm not aware of. Maybe there's more than I think. I'd love to hear about them. I know that there are also vegan grocery stores online. Maybe that's a good way to do it if you don't have options in your area or if you don't want to have to avoid the disgusting meat counter. Uh, But I just, I feel so blessed and kind of relieved to have Sundance just down the street, this safe kind of vegan safe space to shop. And I realize now how important that is. And I want to see more vegan grocery stores everywhere. We need to support that movement. So share with me your shopping experiences as a vegan. I'd love to know. And our guest today knows a lot about vegan food, being connected to a fabulous vegan soul food restaurant in Baltimore. So let's hear from Naja. So today on the podcast, we are honored to welcome Naja Wright-Brown. She is the marketing director for the restaurant The Land of Kush in Baltimore, Maryland, the co-creator of the Vegan Soul Fest and Maryland Vegan Restaurant Month. She is the executive director of the Black Veg Society, a 501c3 nonprofit that educates predominantly Black, Indigenous, and people of color uh, communities on the benefits of holistic living, plant-based diet, and veganism. She also has a talk show on YouTube, Naja Speaks, that helps people on a mission to find their vegan soul. Welcome to the podcast, Naja. Thanks for having me, Hope. I am so excited. I'm excited to have you. So I would love to kind of get to know you. And one of the questions we'd like to start with is why and when you went vegan. So tell us your vegan origin story. Yes, I was just relocating to Maryland in 2005. Um, I used to work for Verizon Wireless in uh, New Jersey and um, they were closing down that call center. And, uh, you know, I landed in Maryland. And of course, you know, when you're moving states, you have to find, you know, a new doctor, a new dentist, a new this, new that. So uh, in search of a new doctor, I, you know, found this doctor, got a physical. I thought I was in the best health ever until the doctor said, well, your cholesterol is so high that if you don't do anything about it, I think it was like over 249, like something like that. Mm. If you don't do something about it, you're going to be placed on meds 
you know, to reduce it or whatever. And since I live a holistic lifestyle, meaning that I don't want drugs in my body because the body can heal itself through, you know, herbs, natural remedies. And, you know, I I have to be dying, you know, or excruciating pain to use drugs. I don't use drugs. Mm. Um, I'm holistic. So um, I had to find a way to reduce the cholesterol. Now, I didn't know anything about, you know, vegan, vegetarian, like things like that. You know, I wasn't into, you know, what, what was going on with that but I was familiar with tofu because I used to eat bean bean curd that's what I know Mm. that's bean curd Uh and black bean sauce when I used to work in New York uh, in my early um, 20 year age Dr. Google helped me Uh (laughs) I was finding about garlic pills and things like that all this type of stuff and then a year later uh, at Verizon Wireless I got promoted to being a supervisor I was on this management team and uh, this gentleman uh, was on the same team. His name happened to be Gregory Brown. And um, Gregory Brown was a very interesting, uh, quiet, kept himself type of person. He had locks and he would bring these exotic dishes to lunch. He always brought his lunch and the lunch had, you know, these chunks of tofu, different sauces, things like that. And, um, you know, he was vegan. So there, there you have it. You know, I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? You know, this is what's happening with me. And I'm trying to figure out all this stuff. And, you know, well, you know, finding out that vegan food uh, doesn't have cholesterol. And then, you know, as we grew closer, you know, because again, we were on the same team. He would uh, talk to me about, you know, foods like shrimp being scavenger, you know, things like that. Things that cause damage to the body when we consume it. And then he talked to me about the dream that he had of opening this uh, vegan restaurant. And, you know, it, it just so happened. I used to be a nightclub promoter. I was always doing something while I was in New Jersey and in New York. So I was looking for something to do in Maryland. And when he talked about this dream of opening a restaurant, I was like, I don't know anything about food service, never worked in food service. But I think if you're passionate enough about pushing a message, you know, it would be a success. And I was very passionate about pushing this message. And he was very passionate about opening this restaurant. And 12 years later, we are award, multi-award winning restaurant, The Land of Kush, serving Stevie Wonder, Angela Davis, Danny Glover, the actor, um, you know, multiple recording artists uh surviving the 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 pandemic you know it's a major blessing uh Mm. and all because of this connection made at Verizon Wireless because I was on a journey of reducing my cholesterol wow wow what an incredible story uh I love that that Gregory was there to guide you that's really really cool I love hearing stories like that because as vegans you know we're we often don't know if we're making any kind of difference. We don't know, you know, if we're influencing anybody, but just by him bringing vegan food to the office, right? Look at the connection he made, look who he changed and how much you've done. It's, it's really beautiful to hear those stories. I love that. Yes. He wanted everyone to test his food. <laughs> so I definitely was a nice. major taste tester. I'm like, this guy could cook too. So I was already thinking like, oh, he cooks it all. This is going to be fantabulous for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So, so you opened this restaurant, the land of Kush and it was in uh, Baltimore. Yeah. Yes, because Greg is a Baltimorean. Both his parents are from Baltimore. I am a native New Yorker, and anybody that runs into me knows that, you know, Uh because it comes straight (laughs) out of my mouth. They already know. Oh, you sound like you're from New York. He is a Baltimorean, uh, and he is passionate about his city, and he was passionate about this idea of bringing a healthier soul food concept to the community of Baltimore, and that's why we're here. Uh, So, yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And just, so the land of Kush, Kush, it's a, uh, I think, indigenous uh, Egyptian people, right? Yes. Yeah. Tell us a little about that. Yes. Greg studies the African diaspora. And um, he wanted a, a name for the restaurant that would uh, encourage conversation. People don't realize when they think of Black people that we were always slaves. We were not. Yeah. Black people, Indigenous Blacks, Africans were very powerful. They were rulers. And the Kingdom Kush is one of the perfect examples. So 
He couldn't have picked a better name, the land of Kush. Uh, it's so interesting that um, in 2020, there's an article in Smithsonian Magazine written by Ishmael Kush Kush called The Lost Kingdom of Kush. So if you really want to know about the land of Kush, you need to pick up that past copy, order it, get it from somewhere, September 20th, Smithsonian Magazine, The mm. Lost Kingdom of Kush. You will find out everything you need to know about Kush. Kush mm. is also referenced in the Bible. You know, we're talking about Ethiopia along the Nile River. So this opens up the dialogue for us to tell our people that you were not always slaves. Don't let them teach you that in school because that is not the truth. We were rulers. We were powerful people. We're still powerful people. And our people need to know that. Yeah, so I definitely we'll we'll put some uh, links possibly in the in the show notes to more information about that. That's great. So so you now and you do much more than this restaurant. I know that you have festivals that you organize, and you are the executive director of the Black Veg Society. Tell us what the Black Veg Society is all about. What do you do? Well, when we were opening the restaurant, you know, anyone knows that restaurant business, the first year is, you know, intense because you either gonna make it or you're going to break it. So mm. our focus was on the restaurant for the first uh, year, first three years. We had a loyal and still have a loyal customer base. So, of course, customers come in. They want you to do this. They want you to do that. We had one particular customer during the first two years that had this uh, Facebook group called Black Vegetarian Society of Maryland. And because we were so doing so well so quickly with the restaurant, he wanted us to take this group and, and, and administer it and moderate it. We were really busy in the first few years of Atlanta Kush. We had no time to do anything. Would, you know, we barely, you know, had our own Facebook page going, you know, little things we were doing, posting pictures of food and things like that. We just didn't have the capacity to take over uh, another group. But in 2014, something really interesting happened. A beautiful spirit named Brenda Sanders was also in the community of Baltimore doing outreach work, and she was looking for people to connect with. And she was trying to put on this conference. So she comes to the Land of Kush. I mean, we, we used to throw these happy hours at the Land of Kush, you know, so people could meet and, and get together. We are a social enterprise. We're not just a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So at some point, Brenda and I had met and, and she wanted to do this conference in like in October or whatever. And then we just got into this conversation about Veg Fest and some and Veg Fest not really representing our culture and the Black vegans and things like that. We needed to bring something to the community that was representative of us, representative of what we like, and, you know, our culture, our people. And so whatever that conference was, she was talking about that she wanted Landon Kush to cater. It became a vegan soul fest, you know, after we got over, you know, meeting. Right. So vegan, in vegan soul fest, yeah, vegan soul fest. So yeah. in three and a half months, we would put this festival on. And that's when I had decided, and that was in 2014, to take this Black Vegetarian Society of Maryland. And that's when <laughs> I adopted it. And it became a nonprofit. And I have to shout out a well-fed world as being like the initial supporter of Black vegetarian society of maryland at that time uh and then right behind them was veg fund so they were very instrumental in helping us um get off the ground with this so um it was just a perfect time to take this over now it's doing business as black veg society because although we're based in um baltimore maryland i have expanded to uh supporting people in um san antonio texas and seattle washington and um, Denver, Colorado, and in New York, of course, because that's where I'm from. And I've also connected with people in, in Africa. So we just don't want to limit our reach to Maryland. You know, after the pandemic, the reach is global. Yeah, so yeah. now it's Black Veg Society, you know, keeping it keep real simple and real short, Black Veg Society. Nice. Yeah, it's amazing how the pandemic has it forced our activism online, but because of that, we have so much more of a global reach. I've, I've experienced that as well. Uh, yeah. So we had to shift from, cause we were doing a lot of, uh, so back to black, black vegetarian society, Maryland, now black Veg society. 
we were doing a ton of outreach in the community. We were doing table sampling. So giving people the opportunity to try vegan food, you know, corporate brands that you can find in local supermarkets, be it uh, plant-based milks, be it plant-based meat, plant-based snacks. You know, we would table in, in, in all communities and, you know, have people sample so they can get an idea that this food, vegan food is, is, is not, you know, rabbit food or nasty food. <laughs> so much so that in 2019, Veg Fund awarded the Black Vegetarian Society an award. They recognized us because we had done like two dozen events in a matter of two years or something like that. And this was at the national, at that time, it was the National Animal Rights Conference. So this was in 2019. So we had been working that hard with all the outreach, you know, we're doing yeah. dinners and tablings, festivals. Uh, and then during the pandemic, because we couldn't do any outreach outdoors, we went online and we started a food as medicine webinar series. So, you know, if you, you go to our website, uh, bvsmd.org or blackvegsociety.org, you find that information. So we just put out a ton of food as medicine webinars. We're just a society that wants to meet people where they are. So it's not a membership society at this time. It's a collective of individuals that's helping people meet meeting them where they are on their vegan, plant-based, and holistic journey. People were so receptive of the information when you're not judging them because I know I wasn't vegan all my my life, so I have no business judging anybody. (laughs) Such good work. It's wonderful. Really fantastic. So so tell us more about Vegan Soul Fest. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it had to kind of shift and shut down probably during the pandemic. Are you uh, able to bring it back now? Where Where is it? Is it going to be happening uh, this year? Tell us about Vegan Soul Fest. Yeah, so Vegan Soul Fest's first year in 2014, um, we were organizing this fest as a little shindig thing uh, at a, you know, building um uh, of a friend of mine that owned it. So it was two levels. We thought we were just going to have 30 vendors and, you know, we were just going to have speakers and that sort of thing. Let me tell you something. When we put that <laughs> advertisement out about Vegan Soul Fest, it overwhelmed us because it was more than 30 vendors that signed up. We had 90 vendors that signed up and we had to get a permit to allow vendors to set up outside the building around the entire block. You know, I put a DJ on the corner. We had music. 1,500 people showed up at the first inaugural vegan. So, so much so that the news came down. They didn't even know what the hell. Nobody knew what was going on. They just saw all (laughs) these people and the news came down and the Baltimore Sun titled wow. this article New Food Festival. So that was it. So if we if we didn't want to have any more Vegan Soul Fest, it was too late because they already said this is a new festival and you guys <laughs> got to do it again. So we couldn't do it there anymore, obviously, because we outgrew the place. This was the Downtown Cultural Arts Center. We couldn't do it there. So we connected with a, a college, uh, Baltimore City Community College, and we would have a three-year contract with them to do this festival on their campus, indoors and outdoors. And we blew that one out. Like, you know, like it, it, the numbers just kept growing every, every oh, year. We, wonderful. you know, reached 10,000 people at the final year. We stayed at Baltimore City Community College, which was in 2017. And then from there, we had to take it to, you know, the local parks. And then in 2018 was the first time uh, of us securing a headline, Maya, who's vegan. And at, at that point, we were at 16,000 attendees. Again, this was a free fest, if I had wow. mentioned. Initially, it was a fee- free fest all these years. So the numbers That's just amazing. kept growing and growing. Um, and then the pandemic hit as we were planning for 2019, where we were going to take it to another park, a different park in the city. We were trying to hit different areas in the city. So because mm. Baltimore is interesting. Some people don't go to the east side, west side, south side. It's just really interesting. So we were trying to tour the city with this festival. Wow. So we were going to have it at uh, Carroll Park, but uh, in 2020, or when we was coming back, we was going to have it at Carroll Park, which is in um, southeast Baltimore. But then the vision became that people like to come out for the music. 
You know, it started with the first one. Our folks love music. And I'm half Latin too. So we like our Latin music and, you know, African-Americans, Black people. We like music. The music has to be there. I remember hearing somebody attending the festival one time. Oh, the music is too loud. Well, then you can't be here because this is how we do this. <laughs> the people love the music. If you don't like the music, then you can't come because you're not going to be comfortable. So um, <laughs> so now in 2020, 20, um, what is it, 20 what was last year 2022 we came back as a vegan music festival wow. uh, and unbeknownst to us the budgets of everything like after coming back after two years of the pandemic and being on hiatus everything was just so expensive and then everybody want to get paid and it so it was got it was so crazy and you know us trying to raise money it had to become this festival that you had to pay to get in but we had to do what we had to do to survive mm. and um so the numbers that went down to probably about a little less than 2000 attendees but the experience was incredible for those that attended because we had vip experience we had industry eyes on us because now you're talking about music industry folks that are looking in like this is a like they, they who had never been to a vegan festival didn't even know something like this existed and then they see someone like um uh, a gray you know do rapping hip-hop and plant-based dripping they're like what is this going on so it just got more <laughs> eyes and attention on it yeah. um so we partnered with another organization on the vegan soul fest last year uh, uh collectively who was organizing their inaugural festival we give black because again, people are coming out of this pandemic and everybody's trying to raise funds to do what they have to do in their organization. And this organization collectively gives back to Black-led organizations. So it couldn't have been a better partnership. So this was the very first time Vegan Soul Fest was collaborating with another organization. So it became Vegan Soul Fest, We Give Black Fest. And we were able to raise $235,000, you know, because of this whole campaign that was given back to Black-led organizations. So this year, we're coming back again, the same location in Southeast Baltimore, um, West Covington Park, which is now being called Baltimore Peninsula, August 19th to the 20th. We've been selling tickets uh, since late October, and we're already at 3,000 tickets sold with estimated 10,000 tickets by August. Wow. So very serious business right here. We are moving <laughs> into a whole different space with vegan music festival organizing. Wow. I love it. I love that because it it's taking it mainstream, taking it to a larger level uh, audience probably that may not have come because, you know, they're not necessarily uh, vegan, but exactly. into the music. Exactly. Right? And yeah. all vegan options, all vegan retail, all, you know, it's a vegan person's dream, even a plant-based person, say, like to walk into a festival and now everything is catered to you in terms of food, beverage, retail. I hate yeah. going to festivals, you know, cause I, I love, you know, going to music festivals, but I hate when there aren't enough vegan options. Yeah. I remember when Landa Kush came out and we were vending at the African-American festival you know, used to be called Afram. We were the only vegan option there. And we wow. sold out three days in a row. Hmm. The only one. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So can you imagine being a vegan, you know, black vegan? This is the demographic. You're going there. This is all you got. It's just one option. So we're trying to create the space where you have all of these options and you can still enjoy the music and you'll still have the opportunity to listen to speakers like Tracy McQuarter and Dr. Mills. We had Badass Vegan last year there. We had Monique Koch, <laughs> the nice. Brown Vegan. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So you'll still have your educational, because uh -huh. you're going to have all of those components and your cooking demos and things like that. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of work and a lot of money. That's why we yeah. need help. Uh, but it sounds so amazing, <laughs> like a fantastic fantastic event i mean that's that sounds like a destination like like it'd be worth flying there to go uh, i'm so happy you even said if you're that. not in baltimore you know i'm so happy you said that because maryland is such uh, an incredible state 
there's a lot of stuff going on. And I need to shout out Visit Maryland because they were one of the biggest sponsors last year because they saw the opportunity for tourism and bringing people from outside to the city of Baltimore because of this unique concept of a festival you know if i'm going to shout out anything anyone is going to be visit baltimore is going to be a welfare world a better food foundation and collectively because they really supported vegan so fast heavily when he came to the finances to put this event on without them i don't know where we would be so we're hoping that you know we get the same level if not more support at this year's festival so and i'm i can't wait especially looking at the ticket sales tickets are selling in droves every day wow well i'd love to switch directions and ask you something about uh, you know, I, I keep hearing that black people are the fastest growing demographic of vegans. And, you know, <laughs> I hear this, uh, every now and again, and I wondered if that is true, if we know that's true and what you might attribute that to, if it is. It's growing because people want to improve their health, but we've always been here. If you think of the Seventh-day Adventists, the Black Hebrew Israelites, think of uh, Indians and Ethiopian culture, we've eaten this way, the plant, whole food plant-based way. So it's really not new. Rastafarians, you know, living the Itaw lifestyle. So this is really not new. And I love the way that Tracy McWhorter put uh, the African-American vegan starter guy together because it talks about that. Like, does anybody remember Dick Gregory? You know, we're talking about he was around before I was even born, I guess. Right. Um, So this is not a new thing. He was speaking out specifically about veganism and animal rights. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And animal rights. So health Definitely. The majority of uh, African-Americans are turning to vegan uh, lifestyle, plant-based eating because of health. I mean, I just told you I'm a perfect example of that. We want to eat better. Now, we teach at the Black Vet Society that, you know, all vegan food isn't the healthiest. Vegan is vegan. So we explain the difference between veganism, vegetarianism, plant-based lifestyle, and, and all of that. You know, so that's why it's black veg, because we're going to teach all of the, the ideologies and where do you want to be in that? You're going vegan all the way. Some people's like, well, I don't want to wear my weather or whatever. And we can teach them all about that. <laughs> um, so those are the, but the majority of black people are going vegan because of health concerns. And then when they're learning, just like I learned, I learned, okay, well, what, what's happening, you know, with the food and the animals and, you know, I was a big seafood eater. And then they, now you learn why you don't want to be a pescatarian anymore, you know, after watching something like a seaspiracy or hearing about the mercury levels in fish. Now you're slowly educating yourself on everything else. And then the welfare world, opened my eyes when they talked about global hunger, which affects black and brown people. So taking food out of the mouths of people that really need it so we can feed animals. So finding your way and your journey is very important through this education of this lifestyle. And I'm so happy that we're here to outreach the community, explain that to them. Mm -hmm. We are the highest demographic in health disparities. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Obesity, yeah. you know, uh, st- uh, stroke, diabetes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it would definitely be us. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're still minimal. I mean, the Black population is higher than the overall population. Yeah, I did a talk at the um, the inaugural uh, animal and uh, vegan and animal Adv- advocacy summit in October. And that's the first thing I said, we're still uh, below, you know, 10%. So there's still a lot of work to do no matter how, and that's combining vegetarianism in there. So we're still small mis- percentage, yeah. just blacks are leading the way, but it's still under 10%. So there's still a lot of work to do. So when I hear about infighting and I hear about racism in the vegan community, 
it needs to stop because there's just so much work to do. I don't know how people have all of this time to be focusing on that when mm. we have 90 plus percent <laughs> to be focusing on that yeah. we need to be educating on the lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really important point that you touched on, you know, racism in the movement. And I wonder if you want to talk about that a little bit or if there's anything I constantly want to consider what can we do better? You know, what can we change? What can we be doing better as a movement uh, to be more inclusive, to be more diverse? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, people, uh, you got to be open-minded. You got to understand culture. That's the first thing. If you don't understand culture, then that's the initial problem. Everyone is not going to do things the same way. You have a culture. I have a culture. The Latin community has a culture. The Indian community has a culture. Everybody's not going vegan the same exact way. No one has the one right answer to go vegan. Yeah. And food is social. So some people will look at you like you're crazy in their culture. And what is going to happen to all my friends? I ain't going to have no friends. As a matter of fact, I was talking to someone this weekend about that. The first thing they were concerned about is I'm not going to have any friends because all of my friends <laughs> do this. So mm -hmm. she's asking me, how do how does she navigate through that? And of course, I brought up Tracy's book, The African-American Vegan Starter Guide. And then I gave her some words of wisdom. If anybody is teasing you or shunning you or keep shutting you out because you're trying to better your life, whether it's you're trying to exercise, eat better, then these are folks that don't really need to be around you and you don't need to be around them. And you need to tell them that. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. No one should be shutting out people because they want to change their lifestyle and eat better and, and, and have a different philosophy or religion. No one religion is the right religion, people. That's why I'm an <laughs> omnist. I find truth in all religions. Your religion is not the one. Sorry. So <laughs> we have to be a little bit more open to hearing other cultures, listening to other cultures and stop thinking, you know, we're the right ones, you know, that that's that whole colonial imperialistic mindset and we need to get rid of it. Yeah. Love is the answer. Yeah, I love that. That's absolutely right. And uh, messages and messaging needs to be different and uh, and geared towards different communities and written by and and delivered by those communities. Uh, so exactly hope yeah yeah I love your name hope we have hope to get to the people we need to get to if we try to be more loving and more understanding of other cultures and stop judging nobody can judge me but my god yeah tell me more about it, the religion you said that you were with where you take from all religions truth from all religions what is that called again it's called being an omnist. You can find truth. I can read all different type of doctrines, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Torah, the Quran. You can find truth in all of that. That's right. It is your journey. It's your spiritual journey to connect with your God. And my God has no gender. Okay. My God is created in the image of me. It's a spiritual being inside of me. We're all gods and goddesses. You know, there's a higher power, the universe, and that's what I connect with. And that's what I believe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I believe. So I can take text and read it and understand it and apply it to my lifestyle. It's love. Like, you know, people say, what would Jesus do? Exactly. What would Jesus do? You're talking all of this. What would Jesus do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what would the Buddha do? You know, so... Yeah. That's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. And love runs through all those texts that you talked about, all the different religions. And yeah, there's other stuff. There's, you know, we are human and humans are problematic, but love is really the overwhelming and, and, and through line with all religions. And I, I love that, that you, uh, you know, take from all the religions that, that love. 
I listen to Ralph Smart a lot. You know, when we were locked in because of the pandemic, Ralph Smart is a vegan. Uh, and you can find him on YouTube. He has a, uh, um, his program is called Infinite Waters. So just thinking about that, Infinite Waters Diving Deep. He really got me through the pandemic with his teachings. And the one thing that resonated in my mind is when he said, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. We're in these bodies, but we are spiritual beings and it is our birthright to be free and, you know, and, and practice love. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, you, you mentioned a little bit about this before, but I kind of want to maybe uh, bring it up again and unpack it a little more. Indigenous diets around the world were mostly plant-based, still are in a lot of places, mostly plant-based. And that is true for Black cultures as well. Uh, and there is so much amazing vegan-centered or plant-based soul food and the food from uh, black culture. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. When I was, um, and I definitely learned this from, from my husband because he plays around with a lot of different, uh, grains and vegetables. You know, he cooks, when he cooks for us, he cooks whole food plant-based. We have a lot more options. When you look at it, when you look at meat versus all of the fruits, vegetables, grains, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, we are beating <laughs> the majority of people that are eating meat because that's all they got. That's all, that's, those are your options. But when you think internationally, there's international versions of all types of fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, seeds, beans, and legumes. Yeah. We have, it's just people need to take the time to learn these different um, uh, options and then cook them. That's the thing. The society is so stressed with taking time out to cook. Cooking can take a long time or can take a little bit of time. It depends on how you prep. So that's the thing. We're moving so fast in this society that people want everything fast. It has to be quick. My meal has to be done in five minutes. Quick, quick, quick. So I'm doing frozen <laughs> this and that. You know, so- yeah. We have to get back to the table and to the garden and growing stuff and, you know, eating, eating that way. But yeah, Ethiopian food. I love Ethiopian mm, food. I love the injera yeah. bread, which has a lot of, you know, iron and protein. Yeah. I'll get a, the, the a teff, right? Yeah, the, the teff. Yes. Mm, yes. So I can eat that and have, you know, they'll have a salad, nice salad. They'll have um, some legumes, collard greens. Just different uh, veggie options. If you like spicy, they got the spicy potato and things like that. Yeah. I love it. I love eating that way. I, I went to an international market and I, I was amazed that all of the different produce, it's just so much like never ending mm. types of produce that you can get. Yeah. I, I hear a lot of people say that now that they're vegan, their diet is so much more varied than yes. it used to be. You know, exactly. and they have so many more options. Yeah. I just, I want to know, tell us a couple of things on the menu at the Land of Kush. Oh my God. Well, what really put us on the map was the barbecue ribs, the Kush barbecue ribs, which Whoa, is made of ribs. Yeah. Soy protein. And it's a uh, sweet barbecue. So there's two different mm. types of uh, barbecue sauces, smoky and sweet. We have like the sweet, sweet barbecue yeah. sauce <laughs> and it's a soy protein, a firm protein. Um, Greg made this sauce. It's a homemade sauce. So smothered in that people cannot believe that it isn't me like that. If we wow. have, if we run out of that, people get so upset with us. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot be out of the ribs. It's like, that's the first thing we take to the festivals. We're doing a festival or we're doing a, a dinner. The ribs have to come. And then we have wow. a curry chicken, which is a little softer texture tofu. So curry, curry is a spice that is used in a lot of indigenous dishes you know the indian you know you got indian you got uh asian curry jamaican curry so curry chicken chicken and uh mac and cheese we make our own cheese oh, yeah. and we Gotta bake our mac, mac and, and cheese, cheese. <laughs> bake it we bake Ooh. it 
So it's not like the, you know, some people like the creamy way where you have it in the pot, but we bake our mac and cheese. Yeah, no, it's so good. If you bake it, it, it kind mm-hmm. of sometimes has that little bit of a, a crunchy crusted kind of. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, really. Yes. Yeah. And we have award winning Crab cakes, thanks to PETA. PETA voted our crab cakes top 10 seafood dishes in 2018. Wow. Those crab cakes would also be in a list of uh, top 10 seafood uh, options in Baltimore. We were the only vegan restaurant listed. Wow. I love that. Yeah, by Baltimore Sun. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So what else is on that? The collard greens. People love the collard greens. Mm-hmm. And then live kale. Can't forget our raw foodists. There are people that eat raw. They don't want anything cooked. Live kale with the avocado sauce. You know, garlic is in there. Lemon. Yes. Oh, my God. It's a favorite. I love it with the crab cakes. Wow. You're making me hungry. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. Well, I did want to ask you too about your YouTube channel, Naja Speaks. Uh, why why did you start that channel? What was your goal, you know, in creating that? Tell us a little about that that uh, talk show that you have on YouTube. Sure. Well, do you know Jane Velez Mitchell? Of She's course, Jane Unchained. Journey. She's been yeah. on this podcast. Oh, yes. Jane Unchained. So uh-huh. Paige, one of her, her producer at that uh-huh. time, came yeah. down to the land of Kush when we were hosting Maryland Vegan Restaurant Week. So that's one of the other projects that I work on. Paige was coming down to get some coverage from the restaurant. And she found out about all these events we were doing. And she said, you know what? You should consider doing some contributor work for Jane." And I said, you know what? I have a lot of stuff going on. I'm very busy. I don't know if I could take on something else, but of course I did. So I was doing (laughs) live coverage for, you know, Jane Unchained at that time and going to festivals, capturing this, going to, oh, you know, plant burgers, opening up here. So doing that type of stuff Uh uh, for a while. And then the pandemic came. So, you know, there's no more, no more outdoor stuff. So this was uh, in 2020, early 2020. So Jane gets all her contributors, about 60 plus of us, all her contributors together. And she says, you know what? Y'all are going to have to probably do your own shows, you know? So, you know, and I'm, I wasn't thinking about doing my own show, but, you know, I thought about it and I was like, hmm, that'd be interesting. So I came up with Naja Speaks yeah. and Naja Speaks uh, is on a mission to help people find their vegan soul through food, events, people, and culture. So now I find myself interviewing people. Oh, I met so many people since April of 2020. That's when I launched it. Kamala Harris was coming into office. So we we did this big plant-based Kamala conference online. You know, it was just, you got to check that out. It was just amazing. (laughs) So the energy was like way high and I'm like, okay, I'm going to run with this. I'm just interviewing all of these people and, you know, going out to, you know, events when, when, when you were able to, Mm -hmm. and Naja Speaks has done so many, and I think I got over 200 interviews on Naja Speaks. Speaks That's amazing since 2020. Incredible. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm, I'm just keeping on keeping on. I mean, it's, it's, to stay and I learned a lot about going live I go live I don't you know it's a live live <laughs> show <laughs> and I'm loving it and I'm growing it and you know meeting a lot of different people and the coverage is there and it's, again find your vegan soul I think people have a vegan soul there's compassion in everyone and I'm just working to get it out Great. and subscribe please subscribe subscribe like share comment tell me what you would like to see you know the outreach is for those that are thinking about vegan, they're not vegan, you know, that type of thing. And also to discover vegans, you know, that don't know other vegans. So like I said, people, food, invention, culture. That's great. Well, Naja, this has been really a wonderful conversation. I am, I am so, so amazed and impressed at all that you are doing. It's incredible. Uh, we are coming to the end though. And I want to ask you our last question. What gives you hope for the future? 
my daughter gives me hope for the future because Aww. she was born <laughs> vegan. So she's nice. experiencing something that I never got a chance to experience until later in my life. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where this lifestyle takes her because this is all she knows. This land of Kush. We live above the restaurant. She's been exposed to, you know, this vegan restaurant living and this mm-hmm. lifestyle. So that's How the whole she. She's 11 years old now. Wow. And I, I just want to see uh, how this generation taps into the generation because we have a lot of work to do. I love what Genesis Butler is doing with the youth um, and the number of things that she's working on. So that's where my hope is. The hope is the children are our future. Yeah. 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 How beautiful that there's a generation being born vegan now. Yeah, Um, it's really cool that they will never, ever uh, have animal products in their bodies. And they learn from such a young age. That is, it's really, really, I love that. It's important uh, for, I think it's important for vegan. If if people are going to have children, I want it to be the vegans. (laughs) So, So we can raise another generation of vegans. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for all that you do. I hope to someday make it to the land of Kush in, uh, in Baltimore. And thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hope it was wonderful speaking to you, sending blessings your way. Thank you for listening to the hope for the animals podcast sponsored by compassionate living. I hope you enjoyed this podcast For those listeners out there who are into vegan spirituality, uh, maybe the Eastern and Dharma traditions, there's going to be a retreat called the Soul of Ahimsa Vegan Spirituality Retreat in New York. It's going to be in June, June 2nd through 4th, and you can meet some of the longtime celebrated and renowned vegans like Dr. T. Colin Campbell and Victoria Moran. Holly Scotus will also be there. She's the host of the podcast, Yoga is Vegan, and also Swami Chidananda will be there. It does cost money, some hundreds of dollars, but of course that's to stay at the retreat center and get vegan meals. I'll put a link in the show notes to that event. It's called The Soul of Ahimsa Vegan Spirituality Retreat. Uh, I, I will not be there. I won't be going, but it sounds wonderful. Maybe you can go. Even though we are getting close to spring, I have snow out my window. It's also new to me uh, being here in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, It is a winter wonderland here getting into March, which is so unusual for me. What a magical, amazing thing that this earth does. I've never lived in snow in my life ever. I've always lived in Southern states. So this is truly, truly amazing. So I will be back soon with a really interesting episode. In the next episode, we're going to dig into the animal advocacy movement. And we're going to talk about a specific strategy, a specific social movement strategy, and how that is being applied in the animal advocacy space uh, and and is actually getting uh, some criticism. So I think you might find this interesting. So until then, live vegan.